Hello, everybody. This is Mark Vines. Welcome to the Mark Vines Show. Thanks for joining us today, and this is your one-stop shop for freedom, the American way, the Constitution, and really just the right way to live. So thanks for joining me. And I want to welcome once again, Frank Runnels, the uh, host of the Lies People Tell podcast. And if you haven't checked that out, please do Lies People Tell. You can get it on all of the the podcast platforms that are out there. He's been a regular guest on this show before, and we're going to have him on today. And, and I want to continue talking about some of the corruption that goes on in the FBI, and I'll even throw in some laziness. And I'll give you some recent examples. And as you know, Frank and I did some episodes early uh, when this podcast started about the corruption in the FBI and how that came about, and largely explaining that through the flawed promotion system that you have in the FBI. But I wanted to bring up an article that, that came up here recently. And if you're not familiar with it, it's actually all over uh, the internet, you can and read it. And that, uh, you know, I'm going to just kind of refer to an ESPN article that was done. It was written by Dan Murphy on uh, June 14th of 2021. And that's not that long ago. Again, you can re- reference a lot of different articles out there regarding this case involving Larry Nasser, who was the uh, disgraced Olympic doctor. And if you uh, are not familiar with this, uh, he was the um, head physician and doctor for the uh, for USA Gymnastics and was seeing a lot of the Olympic caliber gymna- gymnasts who then later came forward and uh, made allegations of sexual misconduct on doc- Dr. Nasser's behalf. And we're going to discuss that a little bit because I think that this case really is instrumental in helping you to understand the problems that we are facing today in the FBI. And then we're going to go on and and talk about how that needs to change. It must change if we are going to have confidence in the FBI, and we need to have confidence in the FBI. So with that, Frank, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Frank, do you want to take a stab at kind of running us through the story that we have here with Dr. Nasser, just to get the listeners up to speed if you've not checked it out? But listeners, I do encourage you to go out and read some articles on this yourself. It's it's really just an, an astounding story. But Frank, can you take a shot at it? Yeah, well, Dr. Nasser was the team doctor for the U.S. Uh, Olympic gymnast team and the Paralympic gymnast team. And... Uh, through the course of his time, he had uh, sexually assaulted many of the uh, young ladies on the gymnast team. Uh, and he, he only specialized in the female gymnast team. And uh, he sexually assaulted uh, bunches of them. I mean, up into the, you know, 50, 60, 70 of them. They, they think he may have assaulted many as 70 or more. Uh, women in various forms of assault throughout his uh, years with the teams. But uh, the FBI was notified by one of the mothers, I believe, of one of the gymnasts, and uh, they basically poo-pooed it. Now, you might ask, well, why would the FBI be involved with this? Well, because of the traveling portion of the team, that makes an interstate uh, matter, which that's what the FBI deals with. As remember, the local authorities, New York police deals with New York uh, cases, you know, and New Jersey deals with New Jersey cases. But when they enter across uh, the state lines, they'll cooperate and work together. But the reality is, is then it becomes a uh, federal jurisdiction. So by reporting it to the FBI, 
that uh, they may have been crossing state lines and he sexually assaulting these girls while crossing the state lines. That becomes a federal jurisdiction, the FBI type of thing. And in a nutshell, the FBI dropped the ball. Now, uh, it was primarily out of the Indianapolis field office, but other field officers were also involved and managed to basically drop the ball also. So I think that's a, a reasonable summation of the what the, what happened. Well, it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It was not just dropping the ball. And by the dropping the ball, we mean there was no sense of immediacy in attacking this case and doing the investigation. What little investigation there was, there uh, we found out now that there were agents that lied about not doing the investigation. There were agents that uh, misled uh, or it changed statements that were given by victims, and then later when questioned about it, actually lied before Congress. And, and as a matter of fact, Congress is now looking to seek or pressure the U.S. Attorney's Office to prosecute some of the agents that were involved in this case. And um, just completely no follow-up. And, for example, the doctor lived in Michigan. Um, The case originated in Indianapolis. And uh, the, the Michigan office did little to no work on this particular case. Then they found out there were, there were leads that were in the Los Angeles area. And when um, the leads were sent out to Los, Jan- Los Angeles, the Los Angeles FBI uh, looked at it and found that there was no work that was being done by Michigan. And we're talking like a year later, maybe even more after the initial allegation. And in the time, what's interesting in the article that I read, which, you know, again, came from... Uh, ESPN. What's interesting about it is that uh, Frank, there were there was actually much more than seventy. I, I want to say it was in in like over well over a hundred cases of girls that came forward. There were just from the time that the initial allegation was made to the time that the FBI's lack of pursuing this came to light. There were seventy cases or seventy allegations of misconduct by Doctor Nasser in that year after the initial allegation. So that's pretty egregious. Then also on and, top and, of that, and, Oh, go ahead. Oh, hold on. And, and, and with something people need to think about, if the FBI had have done something when they first had this reported and say they did, they found enough evidence to actually arrest this guy and charge him. That means that there's 70 some victims that would have never been victimized. That's right. That's right. That's what people need to. That's the importance of that. Is like by their inaction, we know at least seventy other young ladies were victimized. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh well, and and then on top of that, there's an allegation that uh, W. J. Abbott or J. Abbott, who is a special special agent in charge of the Nasser case, at least the Indianapolis portion of it, was spending more time trying to get jobs with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee in the security area of the the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and he was lobbying to get a job post-Bureau. So instead of spending his time trying to get to the bottom of the case and ensuring that uh, the case was being investigated thoroughly, he was actually lobbying to get a job. Now, then later when, when Abbott was questioned about that, he lied, saying that he w- he was not interested in a job at all and expressed no interest in getting a job. And, and again, he lied to Congress about that, and Congress is uh, pushing now for uh, charges against him. And 
uh, against one of the supervisory special agents, which would be the frontline supervisor who who failed to act and and ensure that the investigation was handled properly. Now. Again, there are details that uh, our listeners, if you want to go in and study the case, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, you know, please do. Uh, the, the purpose of what Frank and I are trying to do in this particular podcast today is, once again, explain how this comes to be. Because I know that there's a lot of listeners out there, a lot of listeners out there, because I talk to, to you, that really find this kind of incompetence, if you will, or corruption, if you will, however you want to look at it, hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. Now, I don't find it hard to believe, and Frank doesn't find it hard to believe, but we want to explain what is going on within the organization, how we got to this point, and more importantly, what needs to be done to clean this up. So, Frank, again, I'll I'll give you the lead on this. So, what's going on? Give us the big picture, sort of behind the curtain. How in the hell does something like this happen? Well... I, I think it's a multi-layer, multifaceted thing that's created this problem. And I think it comes down to the type of people we recruit, the type of training that they're given, the type of people that are training them, and just the difference in the mission of the FBI now versus 20, 25 years ago when we joined the mission of the FBI. And I think that's the really where we're at. Now, when I joined and when you joined, everyone knows that the, the FBI always recruited, especially in the early days, you had to either be an accountant or an attorney, right? That mm-hmm. was that was a given. And that was even growing up as a kid, I was under the impression if you weren't an accountant and you weren't an attorney, you couldn't become an FBI agent. When I Before I joined, I had no idea I would even be qualified to join. But I found out through an FBI recruiter I ever met at a uh, college day when I was an ROTC instructor at Eastern New Mexico University. We, they had a table set up at uh, you know a job fair day, the FBI did. So I'm like, I walked over like, well, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Oh, we're recruiting. And, you know, so I was talking to him and he explained to me, you know, what qualifications you had to have. And at the time he said, because you're military, you would be coming in under the diversified program. Yeah, so, that's the program know, I either, came in under, by the way. Right. So because they would, you know, recruited mainly a formal law enforcement or military. You know, you can be an accountant. That would be you'd come under the accountant program, the attorney, attorney program diversified and you know and then since then they've expanded it to others but that was what we came under so a lot of guys like you and i came in under the diversified program now those baby guys that got degrees either maybe when they're in the military or when they were a cop or they you know got a a four-year degree you know, before they joined the military, but you know, it wasn't where you were being in the, the Harvard jail pipeline, Princeton or whatever. These were average, many of them, most of them blue collar background type of guys. So we came in with a different perspective. That's all changed since, especially since nine 11, it's completely changed. Now I, they did away with the diversity program. I think they have brought it back in the last couple of years, but for probably 10 years, 
there was no diversity program. It was all either lawyer, accountant, or STEM, science, math type of people, you yeah, know, technology. computer science mm-hmm. people, technology and yeah. all that. They wanted, they wanted the, the brainiacs. Now, nothing wrong with the brainiac, but this guy that was a computer programmer in his civilian life comes to the bureau. He's not really looking to be kicking in doors. He's, that's not his bailiwick. That's not his comfort zone. He didn't join to do that. And, and when they channel him in, they channel him into an area where there, he's not going to be doing that type of stuff. So it creates a different mentality of what your expectations are and what you're going to be doing because you've kind of been funneled into the cyber world or whatever. Whereas the diversity guys, we wanted to and we planned on kicking in doors you know, putting the grabbing bad guys, throwing, uh, making cases and all this stuff. So I think part of it was the recruiting. And I think the recruiting of people have changed a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. And you're absolutely right. So when you had somebody like me, when I came into the FBI, you know, I had been a police, I was a city police officer before I came in. And so the idea of getting a lead and acting upon that lead uh, was just second nature to me. I mean, that's what we did in the, the police department, particularly in a case like this where you know that young women are being victimized. I mean, like they're being victimized now, and this is an ongoing act. This is not some historical uh, white-collar case like a healthcare fraud case where we could go back and, you know, it doesn't matter if I get to it Monday morning or, you know, Thursday morning. It doesn't matter because, you know, they're not going anywhere and the records aren't going anywhere. This is something where they're real life people being victimized and it's ongoing and you need to deal with it. You know, in the police department, uh, particularly when it came to uh, assault cases, uh, particularly assault, uh, sexual assault cases, you acted on that immediately. You act on that immediately. There's no, uh, you know, putting this off. And, and those of you that know my background and what I'm doing right now, I'm I'm working in the mental health uh, addiction world right now. And uh, if I, if it, if it's brought to my attention that a child is being sexually molested, um, I, I am to immediately, immediately take action on that uh, report and, you know, d- take whatever the appropriate action is, but you have to document that you did it within 24 hours. And that sense of urgency just doesn't happen in the FBI anymore. And I, f- I think, Frank, that your explanation is spot on. These are not people that have been in that situation, and they don't really think, you know, even though the FBI is a law enforcement agency to a degree now it still doesn't have that feel and they aren't bringing people in by and large i know there's exceptions but by and large you're not bringing in agents that have worked in that the field where they must act on this right now that's a real flaw in this in the hiring system in my opinion yeah absolutely absolutely i think that that is the the first step on the slippery slope then the next step is the type of training and the people that are training them. When they go to the FBI Academy, and we're both intimately familiar with uh, the FBI Academy, seeing we both taught there for a few years, uh, that what they're being taught and what they're being trained on is far different than when we came through. And the type of people that are doing the training are far different than the type of people that trained us when we came through. Mm -hmm. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, you know, you're just harkening back to, you know, the old home days and everything was better back then. No, it's, it's, it, the reality is this. The, the vast majority of people that are doing the training at the FBI Academy 
right now have little or no experience doing law enforcement work. Most of them were counterintelligence people, which means that they have no law enforcement background hardly at all. They do no arrests. They do no search warrants. They do or very few search warrants. Most of the time they just do analyze metadata and some surveillance, mm-hmm. right? They don't really build a case. They don't go out and talk to people and uh, really actually invest in investigate and build a case. So consequently, and, and they spend a lot of time trying to protect their position at the academy and because they like being there. It's a soft ride. There's no doubt about that. And they don't want to give up that cush ride where they're getting paid a lot of money, very light lifting, and they get to feel like they're a big man on campus because you got 40 brand new agents looking at you like, oh man, you know everything. And there's a little bit of high to that. They like that and they don't like to give that up. But the reality is this. Most of them couldn't tell you the first step of how to even go on about writing a search warrant, an affidavit for a search warrant. Most of them couldn't explain to you what probable causes or what a predicate is for a crime. Yeah. You could ask them, how do you even determine what's the elements of a crime? They couldn't even tell you that. Yeah. Why? Because they've never done it. Well, Frank, when you know what? I, I, to follow along with what you're just saying, um, this last week I was notified that they just got a new, when I say they, the FBI just got a new assistant director in charge of the FBI Academy, right? In charge of the training d- division, right. training the future agents. And I think, and if you'll bear with me for a minute, Frank, let me just um, put in, put this out for our listeners, um, what you have, because it, it supports what you just said. This is the person in charge of training at the FBI Academy, Tim Dunham. Tim Dunham will take the helm of the training division from Renee McDermott, who is the assistant director at uh uh, was just there and she just retired. So Jim joined the FBI, or Tim joined the FBI in 2002 as a special agent and worked counterintelligence cases in the Chicago division. He served in the counterintelligence division at headquarters in CTD, that's counterterrorism division, and was detailed to the Central Intelligence Agency to coordinate the FBI's human intelligence operations overseas. Tim has worked terrorism cases in Albany Division and served as an acting assistant legal attache in Stockholm. He led the criminal and administrative branches in Albany before returning to oversee the leadership development program. He was SAC of the counterintelligence branch at WFO, then its criminal branch, and he most recently served as DAD in CID. Um, when, if, so Frank, tell, sh- tell me where in his experience... Before he was at the executive level, and I noticed that his criminal experience was at the executive level, which means he has no criminal experience, let's be honest. But at right. the at the ground level agent, the working agent level, he was counterintelligence. Does that not support what you, you've just been saying? Yeah, it has zero uh, real-world experience as far as a, cr- a criminal case. And I know people say, well, you know, counterintelligence is important too. Yeah. I but it's not criminal. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's criminal. not criminal. And, and it also doesn't give you the basis of what the FBI agent is supposed to be able to do. First and foremost, the FBI agent, their first and foremost job is to investigate federal crimes. And when you read your credentials, it says, you know, to investigate federal violations of the law, federal crimes, not, you know, counterintelligence. Counterintelligence may be important, but our first mission is federal criminal investigations, putting bad guys away. 
protecting the public. And as you said, his criminal investigation or his criminal experience is at a senior executive level, which means that he's a bean counter at that point. He has zero to do with any investigation. Mm-hmm. So if you asked him, well, you know, tell me about your biggest bust, you know what I mean, your biggest case, he couldn't tell you because he's never had one. Mm-hmm. Well, how many people have you arrested? Well, I can't, you know, I can't really say because he's not done any. Right. Now, I know, and people say, well, that's, how important is that? It's important in the respect that when this mother comes to you in Indianapolis and says, this doctor uh, with the U.S. gymnastic team is sexually assaulting my daughter and other girls, you immediately say, uh, I need to do something about this. And you say, okay, how do I have jurisdiction? And if you don't know, you go look it up and find out, oh, because he's traveling interstate from Michigan to Indianapolis and he's performing sexual acts or sexual assaults during the course of that trip, he's traveling over state lines to perform sexual assault. That's a federal criminal offense. Now, I know that because I work those type of cases. But if you don't know that, you need to look that up. Well, where do you look it up if you don't know how to look those things up? That's that's why this is important. And right. that's why at the FBI Academy, they teach us how to investigate crimes before they even talk about counterintelligence. Counterintelligence comes long after how to write search warrants or arrest people and then uh, building a case, surveillance, interviewing, interrogation. Counterintelligence is a sideline. Right. It's not the main thrust of the FBI Academy training. But you get a guy like this, and many of the people teaching down there, they can't tell you how to do those types of things because they've never done it. And by the way, where in that resume that I just read to you, did you see that he was ever had any teaching experience? <laughs> Which was always a None. pet peeve of mine when I was an instructor there. You know, the people that are put in charge. Uh, what training experience? Now, I know, I know he's going to say that he was in the leadership development program, and you could say that that was teaching. Well, don't get us started. We could do a whole podcast on the the FBI's leadership development program, uh, but that's not that's not a teaching position. So he doesn't have that in his resume, and. Uh, when you when you talk about counterintelligence and we talk about urgency in investigations, the listeners need to understand that when you're doing a counterintelligence case, your job is to follow those people. You're usually looking at intelligence officers from other countries, and your job is to follow them. Um, never or very rarely, let me put it that way, very rarely is your intent ever to arrest the person that you're following. And right. so when you, when you ask, well, how is it that the FBI did not act on Dr. Nasser? Well, if your background is counterintelligence and your, um, your way of doing uh, business is to follow your subject and not necessarily prosecute the subject, it, it absolutely makes sense. I, you know, if you're a counterintelligence guy, I, I see the mentality because that's what the – but it's a very different job. Now, you take somebody like myself that came in as a police officer, I, I would like to think that had this been in, in my inbox, if this was a case that was assigned to me, I would have acted on it immediately knowing that what you're, you're supposed and, to do. And even if you have an agent who's assigned a case that actually wants to go for it, if his supervisor or his ASAC or his SAC – don't really think it's important. He's he's not going to get the support he needs to continue with this investigation. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the agents itself. 
many times they're stifled yeah. by the, their higher-ups because of their lack of support or lack of interest. Because why aren't they interested? They don't understand what they got. Yeah. I've seen many cases where I've had to try, I've had to sell my case to my bosses because they couldn't understand what I was doing. They didn't understand the type of crime it was, what the criminal scheme was, why I was even pursuing it. And I would explain it to them and I would get it, I would get it through their head. But I'm honestly, it wasn't easy many times to make that sell. And you ask yourself, well, why, why do you have to sell it? Well, I mean, we only have so many resources and uh, so much time, so many cars, so many bodies, so much money, and you have to pick and choose sometimes which cases to pursue. And you want to go for the ones that have the best bang for the buck, but also in a case like this, because of the urgency in the nature of it, you immediately address this. This is like if someone comes to you and say, hey, I, my daughter's been kidnapped. You don't sort of just say, you know something? Uh, come back and see us next week, and we'll take we'll take a look at. It. No, you jump on those things immediately. Some things have just urgency to themselves, but you know, not everybody understands that or even has that sense of urgency. Yeah, I mean, you know. Well, I'm going <laughs> to point out the, this whole Russia collusion <laughs> debacle, uh, Frank. What was the background of all the the uh, agents again that were involved in that? CI, counterintelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we starting to see a trend exactly. here, folks? <laughs> Are we starting to see a yeah. trend here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, exactly Frank and I have right. talked about how the after 9-11, the FBI has more and more and more begun to transition into a counterintelligence agency, meaning sort of a domestic CIA. And this has not been good for the organization, and this has not been good for the country. Not at all. Well, and I think the mentality of the organization and the people in the organization have changed a lot too, because when I came in, you came in, it was well understood that the best job there was in the FBI was that, that street FBI agent, that the special agent out there investigating crimes, you know, the hump brick agent. That was what your highest calling was. That's what everyone aspired to. And you aspired to not only work cases, but you wanted to work the big cases. You wanted to work the complex cases. You wanted to work kidnappings and organized crime or the big drug syndicates, those type of things. Or you were doing massive, you know, embezzlement cases. And that's changed. Now the whole focus in the Bureau is, is climbing the ladder. And when we were in, you know, you, if you were raising your hand to join management at your five-year mark, people were like, well, obviously you're not capable enough to actually investigate crimes. You're, you are lacking because you want to join management. Now it's completely reversed. If you're not joining the management ranks at the five-year mark, they're all looking at you like there's obviously something wrong with you because you're not joining the management ranks and climbing the ladder. The reality is, is I didn't join the management ranks till my 18th year because I really liked investigating cases. I was good at it. And that was what, honestly, I know this maybe sounds strange to some people, but this is what God made me to do. I've done a lot of things in my life between the army and civilian work. I never had a, a, a career other than the FBI where this was exactly what I was supposed to do put bad guys away. And I was really good at it. And I put a lot of people away. 
and I know that that was these guys looked at me like what was obviously wrong with it. More convictions and more arrests than probably ninety percent, probably more than ninety percent now. And then and they're like, well, but you didn't join management. You didn't punch your ticket and move up the chain of command at headquarters and all this stuff. And that's the reverse. And it's in mentality is it's a corporate IBM, big, you know, corporation mentality. Like if you're not climbing the ladder and hopscotching to your next job every six to a year, it's obvious that you're, you're lacking because you would actually be up there also. Yeah. I saw, I saw that as well too. I would have, um, actually I, I would have, when I was teaching at the academy, teaching new agents, I would hear new agents. I mean, in the academy, kind of game planning, planning out their uh, career, and saying, you know, hey, by you know three years, I hope to be here. By five years, I hope to be there, and I'll go back to headquarters and I'll do this. And so the the talk I heard around a lot of new agents was, you know, how are they going to quickly promote? Whereas when I came in, I don't remember anybody saying that i remember the discussions being around like wow i can't wait to get out and work violent crime or organized crime or uh you know doing whatever it is that they wanted to do and you know they, they came in to investigate and get bad guys off the street and i don't know about you frank but when i was at the i i, I can honestly say that when i was at the fbi academy as a new agent the thought of promoting at that point in my mind did not it, it did not cross my mind it was not a thought that i had when i was at no. the academy and Not later, good. when I was an instructor, uh, I'm listening to these conversations, and it just hit me. I was like, I don't remember ever having that thought when I was going through training. No, no, that, that never even crossed your mind. Mm-mm. And when you get when you get out there in the office and you're working with, you know, those old uh, salty agents from the past, and, and if you start talking about joining the uh, management team, they'd be like, "What? Are you kidding me?" You know, and people like, they were dinosaurs. Well, they, they may have been, but you know one thing they did? They put some pretty damn good cases together, too. So, you know something? That's what our job was. Mm-hmm. That was our main mission. And, uh, you know, the, the used to, the, the, the management program, it was frowned upon. I mean, it was like, if you join management, you were like, well, probably because you can't do anything else. And now it's the opposite. It's, you know, and I, that's, that was Robert Mueller's doing. Robert yeah. Mueller changed the complexion of the organization because Louis Free, love him or love or hate him, he did one thing. He said, you know something? The majority of the work is out in the field, not in headquarters. And he cut headquarters staff by half. Uh, and Robert Mueller not only doubled headquarters staff, but he's probably tripled it or quadrupled it since then. Because, you know, he's a corporate elitist and he looks at it like, well, if you're not trying to climb the ranks like me and up here, there's obviously something wrong with it. He's looking down his nose at you like, oh, obviously you're lacking. Well, okay. Well, just think of all the units at headquarters that did not exist when you and I came in that exist now. I mean, there's so many people at headquarters and the jobs are redundant. I mean, they try to make decisions at headquarters that really ought to be made at the supervisor level out in the field. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to run cases from headquarters. That's what they're trying to do. And it's very, very ineffective. It just is ineffective. And the question is, well, well then why do you have supervisors out in the field if you're going to be running cases from headquarters? 
Well, it, it works as well as when you're trying to run combat operations overseas in Afghanistan or Vietnam or Iraq from uh, the Pentagon, you know, uh, or the, or Washington, D.C. doesn't work because the, the guys on the ground actually really need to be calling the shot. The other guys can back in D.C. can make the strategy decisions, but the execution and the tactical level of it, it needs to be out there in the field. And the same thing with FBI headquarters. They're trying to, you got this uh, uh, five-year wonder that's never worked a case in his life trying to tell you, dictate to you how you're going to run your case. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Skippy, that ain't working for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, just a general sloppiness. And I'm hearing reports from agents in the field now that, go out on search warrants and arrest warrants and even documenting evidence that's collected, just very, very sloppy, shoddy work. You know, that the, the just the meticulousness that's required when you're collecting evidence is just not there anymore. And again, I think it goes back to uh, people aren't being hired from backgrounds where that was important. Um, it's a real and, shame. It's a real shame to even, yeah. to, to even have this conversation. It, it, it pains me to have it. But folk, it, folks, it's the truth. And one other thing that I've seen throughout, you know, the many years the FBI is we don't learn from our mistakes. No. You, you know, and the reason why we don't learn from our mistakes is because we really don't like to admit we make mistakes. And if you don't admit, yeah, that was screwed up. We can't do that again. And we're not going to do this again. Lessons learned. A real hot wash. You're never going to get better. That is the one thing about the military. We always did hot washes. We always did an after action. And sometimes it would get brutal because things didn't work out. People were held account and people were blamed. And it was unvarnished. It wasn't like we're trying to spare so-and-so's feelings. Uh, no, because the stakes are too high. We don't do that in the Bureau. Something happens, something bad happens. And uh, we we keep mum about it, and we don't talk about it, and we sort of act like uh, nothing nothing here to see, just whistling by the graveyard. Consequently, the same mistakes happen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I mean, these two uh, young agents down in Florida that were killed—tragedy. My heart goes out to them and their families, and this should have never happened. But the question is, is how did that happen? Mm-hmm. How did that happen where you had five people standing in front of a door on a search warrant? Now, were they wearing vests? Were they not? Why were they all gaggling around in the front door? Why weren't they covering the house from all four sides in the rear? You know, it was a search warrant. And I don't care if how okay you think it is, you treat each one as if it could end up into a shooting situation. You wear your vest. You wear your ray jackets to clear who you are. You put people on the perimeter. The pe- people in the back. You keep eyes on the windows. You know, we keep it, keep it, treat it like a tactical situation until it's no longer a tactical situation. So we don't know what really happened. And I'm, I'm not privy to it, and you're not privy to it. And I just hope to God that they've taken what happened there and have incorporated that into the training so this doesn't happen again because we don't want to see this happen. Mm -mm. No. Well, Frank, what do you think it's going to take for this to turn around? Well, I think 
I think it's going to take a wholesale revamping of the organization, uh, an adjustment to their mission uh, priorities. It's going to take a really tough person who's a reformer that understands what needs to be reformed in the bureau and how and how what's wrong with it, and then make some really tough decisions. And there's a lot of people need to move moved out of certain spots that are in certain spots. And, uh, you know, so be it if they have to look for another job or they have to go to a job that they don't particularly like. The the crony uh, good old boy network really needs to be, you know, cut down to size and quit creating positions just to create a position to give someone, you know, that feeling of uh, you're part of the team. I mean, you, you need a reformer at the top. And I, I don't see that now. That's not to say we won't get one someday, but the damage that's been done and the mindset change that it's going to take, this isn't going to happen in five years. This is decades long uh, change if the organization even survives that long. And and that is going to take five years or more or even a decade if you have that reformer that you're talking about and somebody that came in and just gutted the place. But that's not going to happen. So no. bottom line is it's not going to happen within the next five years. But whoever's in the White House, and let's just be clear. Let's, can we be honest here? It's not going to happen under this administration. It, it is not going to happen under this administration, period. So we at least have a few more years of where nothing is even going to be done. And whoever ends up in the White House after the Biden administration, then they are going to have to step up and do something about it. And so uh, anybody that, you know, Donald Trump, uh, Governor DeSantis, or any other candidate out there that is going to run for uh, the White House and get into the White House, this has got to be, and I don't care which party you're a part of, I'm telling you, whoever ends up in the White House, this has to be a priority and you need to you need to have some people that are on the inside that they understand how the organization works and the unique culture of the FBI to fix it. Okay, um, Trump got rid of Comey and got rid of Strzok, got rid of McCabe and Lisa Page. That's great. That's to get rid of those people. That's fantastic. But it was not deep enough. It was not hard enough, and we still have not seen people go to jail for that. And you know what? I think Frank, honestly. I think it's going to take some people need to go to jail. That some people need to go to jail. There won't even be any desire to get better unless that happens. Well, yeah, exactly. There has to be a a certain level of punishment to incentivize that change. Otherwise, if no one's ever held accountable, what's the incentive to change? Why change? You know, mm-hmm. I mean that's human nature. Yeah, you know, it's not rocket science and. The other thing is you need an attorney general that actually wants to see the organization change and be better. And we haven't had that to include Barr. I mean, yeah. when you think it's Bill Barr, uh, people might think, oh, he was a white hat. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I challenge anyone to explain to exactly what did Bill Barr do that helped. And you can say, well, you know, he... He, you know, brought out the Mueller report and the Mueller report uh, turned out to be nothing. That's true. But let me ask you this. What if he knew that the Mueller report was going to be nothing anyway? Right? But, you know, did he, did Durham indict anyone? 
Not yet. Did, did they do anything about Hunter Biden's laptop? Then that happened under Barr. This was, and it didn't happen like two minutes before Barr left. It happened a year before he left. And that got buried. You think they didn't know? You think, uh, you know, the AG didn't know about Hunter Biden's laptop? Oh, trust me, he did. So, you know, you're going to need, it's not just within the Bureau. It's the Department of Justice overall that's going to need some revamping. And I don't know, that's, you know, such a, a Herculean attack. Uh, I, I just don't know if that could ever be accomplished, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a sad state, but all we can do is hope. But again, if, well, if you're listening, if you're listening to this program and you end up in a position where you have influence to uh, take a look at this stuff, please, please consider much of what we're saying. And Frank, I'll give you, you know, the last word. Go ahead. I just want to say one thing also. And, you know, I know a lot of the people, and I read a lot of comments, and the FBI has not conducted itself in a very stellar manner in a lot of ways. And I know there's a lot of people now that are saying, listen, you can't trust any agent. And I, I disagree with that. Yeah, there are a so. lot of good agents out there that are doing their job. Do not let the actions of agents in, you know, some of the agents that are in certain offices that are not doing their job or that are actively pursuing things that we all say are questionable. That's just a small, small minority of the agent population. There's most agents, vast majority of agents are out there doing a good job, working hard, trying to do the right thing. They're honest, they're hardworking, and they're as upset and is aghast at what has happened and what is happening is any of us. You know, and I know people are like getting to the point they want to beat up on all agents. And I don't know that you can't make those type of generalized statements. And even the fact that there are some, I'm sure, good CIA agents. Well, I'm just saying that they're not bad people. They're just not equipped to really do the functions a lot of them are pretending they can do. So, you know, let's let's not throw everyone under the same bus. Let's hold people accountable that deserve to be held accountable. And the vast majority of them are all in bureau management, I think. Yeah, and by the way, and let me clarify with that, because I agree with everything you just said 100%. And I think that, uh, now there are, there are, there are bad apples, but the real problem, the real problem right now is at the management level of not only the FBI, but the CIA, and even over at the NSA, I'll throw them in as well. But that's where the real problems are. And you are absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And so what I was going to say is I, have, I agree with you 100%. And there are great agents in the FBI, the CIA, NSA. There are great people. The problem is the management and the, the corruption at the management level and the politicization of the uh, upper levels of these organizations. And that is what needs to, to change. And I hope that in future administrations, that is something that is really looked at. And we need to reinstill the non-political partisanship of the people in these organizations because it is political, absolutely political. And we'll, we have talked about that on this podcast. We're going to continue to talk about that on this podcast. And that is what needs to, to change. 
And so, folks, just keep your head up. And uh, thank, thanks again, Frank, for coming on the show and enlightening us on all of this. And I know that the listeners find this interesting. And, uh, you know, for the listeners that are out there, please take this this information, utilize it, keep pressure uh, on, on the government to, to make these reforms because we have to make reforms in these organizations because we need these organizations for our safety. And so don't give up. Uh, we, we cannot let just all of these institutions that that we need in this country to to go by the wayside and you have to be involved you have to keep pushing and you have to, you have to keep enlightening the public on what's going on and so with that folks just give us a follow give us a like uh, follow mark vines on the um, on all of the social media platforms we're on rumble we're on parlor we're on MeWe, and also on the dreaded Facebook. And by the way, we're going to be talking about Facebook here pretty quick. As always, listen to Frank Runnels. He has the Lies People Tell podcast. He's the host of the Lies People Tell. Check him out. Check him out on social media as well. And folks, you take care. God bless America. Keep your head up and keep up the fight. And we'll talk to you later.